0: I hope I have you intrigued with the title of this one, Nine Uncommon Questions. Here's the thing. We present to our clients that the pelvic floor system is all related, right? We're sharing with them that there is way more to the story than just their pelvic floor. It's the combination of their nervous system function, their whole body interconnectedness. And guess what? This always comes back to our ability to craft eloquent, beautiful, and real-world relevant questions. I'm going to tell you all about that now. New and seasoned OTs are finding their calling in pelvic health. After all, what's more ADL than sex, peeing, and poop? But here's the question, what does it take to become a successful, fulfilled, and thriving OT in pelvic health? How do you go from beginner to seasoned and everything in between? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are inspired OTs. We are out-of-the-box OTs. We are Pelvic Health OTs. I'm your host, Lindsay Vestal, and welcome to the OTs in Pelvic Health podcast. Let's discuss nine uncommon questions that make a huge impact on healing. Why are they uncommon? (laughs) Because they aren't typical. You won't find them in most pelvic floor intake questionnaire. And this is because (laughs) they're all about bowel habits. Here's why this matters. The majority of our clients who come to see us, they're often coming due to urinary issues, painful intimacy, pelvic stability issues, prolapse, abdominal wall concerns, basically anything not directly concerning their bowel habits. Now, this is not always true, but I would say it's very, very often true. But here's the thing. Most of these issues often come back to a healthy relationship with bowel movements, even if it wasn't the primary reason they came to see us. In fact, it may not even be something that they flagged on their intake forms. So how does this affect our session with clients? How does this affect their outcomes, right? If it's not even on their intake forms, it's not even on their radar, does it matter? The answer is a resounding yes. Pelvic health therapists, let's focus on our ability to ask Quality questions and develop the rapport that we have with our clients. These two powerful things enable us to see if there is a relationship there between their symptoms, the symptoms of why they're coming to see us, and to look at what's really driving it. Because here's the thing, and this is why it matters. Very often, clients' reasons for coming to see us, urinary issues, painful intimacy, prolapse, abdominal wall concerns, very often it comes back to bowel issues. As Jane Kaufman, my mentor from biofeedback training and incontinence Solutions says, the poop drives the pee. So we just talked about the majority of our clients come to see us very often for anything other than bowel movement issues. So over the years, I have definitely learned to be a bit of a detective to find out what's really going on. I've done this by learning to ask better subjective questions, even even if the intake didn't take me there directly. And maybe even especially when the intake doesn't take me there. I'm gonna tell you what I've learned to do. I use the Australian Pelvic Floor Questionnaire as one of my evaluation forms that our clients fill out. There are sections devoted to urinary function, sexuality, bowel function. Many of us, including myself, will kind of glaze over asking more in-depth questions about bowel function if there are no red flags on the form. Notice I said I used to do this. So much of pelvic floor function is not discussed in everyday life. So our clients don't even know what optimal is, optimal function is. And this couldn't be more true than with bowel movements. Some of our clients will come to see us because of newer symptoms, urinary incontinence, urinary frequency, right? Right. Thinking of a client who just had a baby and urinary incontinence is brand new. It's fresh on their mind and they're coming to see us for this new symptom. But so many of them have had bowel movement issues preceding this for years, if not decades, that have contributed to these new symptoms. For so many, what is more shameful than pooping, right? So our clients come to accept many of these issues as common or normal or their normal. They buy Imodium or laxatives, but they don't do much else. Most people experiencing these issues don't even bring them up to their general practitioners. And this is why the intake is crucial. Your job is to help them to share things that they don't even realize are an issue. As they start to see how interrelated their stories, their concerns, and their experiences are, they will continue to connect the dots in their own life, leading to so much self-efficacy. So the questions we reviewed on the Australian Pelvic Floor Questionnaire don't resonate with many of our clients very much, right? They're clinical and pretty undefined. So I would like you to take your questions deeper and use alternate language in order to get a more complete picture from your client. So I'm basically saying that the question, the questions need to go beyond, have you been constipated in the last week or more? Now, officially, a normal bowel movement is defined as three times a day or three times a week. And What does that even mean? (laughs) How descriptive is that? We need to know more. It needs to be more explicit. The ability to define a healthy amount or healthy experience with bowel movements needs to be more explicitly defined than just the number of times per week or per day. Because here's the thing. There are even variable norms for how we talk about that in research. The more comfortable we are asking the questions, building rapport, the better answers we get. So many people are embarrassed about talking about this, right? We already said that they typically don't tell their medical providers about these symptoms, right? So we know there's shame and embarrassment there. It's not that our clients are deceiving us when it comes to filling out their paperwork. They're just so used to downplaying their symptoms and minimizing them even to themselves, they see a question about splinting, right? Splinting is where you take your finger or some other device, and many people just, you know, wrap their finger in a bunch of toilet paper and basically press up into their perineum, which leads to more complete emptying, okay? So they see a question, and in the Australian pelvic floor questionnaire, it it says splinting, and they check never, right? Because they're like, "Uh, I don't splint. I don't know what splinting is. I don't do that. But then in conversation, if you say, have you ever used your finger to support your perineum, you know, to push up in that area between your rectum and your vagina? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, sure. Right? These clinical terms aren't thrown around on a daily basis. So they're not helpful for our clients. And it's so much more than just how many times a day do you go? Because a constipated person could go two times a day but can't completely empty. Two times a day sounds great, according to the proper definition of how many times we're supposed to go, but it's so much more meaningful to ask questions about symptoms and their experience than just the number of times in order to get a complete picture. So I like to ask about current symptoms and aggravating and easing factors. So for people that identify as females, I get an OBGYN history and a menstrual history. For people who identify as men, a prostate and urology history. I want to know, was there a history of sciatica? Was there a tailbone fall? How about hip pain? Sexual health. So have they had painful sex? Do they have pain with masturbation or arousal? How about their health habits? I want to know about their diet, their fluid intake. I want to know if they have bladder irritants. I want to know about stress management, sleep hygiene, and I always review their meds. Now, beyond that, in terms of questions, I focus on using real world language with them, such as using your finger instead of saying splinting. I don't say fecal urgency, but I say, do you ever feel like you have to poop, but you just can't seem to get to the bathroom quick enough? I like to present these ideas as if time doesn't exist. I want them thinking and not feeling rushed. This could be anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes, depending on the client. Now this matters. This matters because how many of our clients and how many people really sit there and think about their bowel habits, their bladder habits deeply. They're going to answer it very quickly, very superficially, kind of off the cuff without really considering. And so if you're asking these questions in a non-rushed way, you're sending both them and their nervous system a signal that they can think a little bit deeper. It's a safe space To really think about these habits on a different level. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is going to lead to so many better outcomes for them. Now for the typical questions of how many times a day or a week do you go, this is how I improve that question. I say, has the number changed for them in the last X amount of time? So let's say they've had urinary incontinence for four months. I use that time frame in the question I say, has the number of times for bowel movements changed for you in the last four months? And because there's such a huge range of normal, three times a day to three times a week, I find sticking to the changes in their body to be the most helpful, the most meaningful, and the most specific for their body especially if it correlates to their other symptoms the the reason they came to see us anyway which is urinary incontinence pelvic floor issues etc so here's my list of nine uncommon questions that i would love for you to consider weaving into your sessions number one do you experience pain with bowel movements believe it or not the australian pelvic floor questionnaire does not ask that one at all number two can you completely empty your bowels? Or as the Australian pelvic floor questionnaire asks it, do you have a feeling of incomplete bowel emptying? Then I elaborate with, do you ever have a bowel movement and then feel like there's more to come out in the next few minutes or hours? I find that question is more meaningful to them. Number three, do you feel like you're consistent with your frequency? Number four. Oh, and I should mention, some of these questions they may not be able to answer on the first session, and this is where having a bowel diary could really come in handy. Now, in a previous episode, I talked about the trio of diaries, bowel, bladder, and diet, so check out that podcast if you want to hear more about the value of diaries. The Australian Pelvic Floor Question asks, do you have to strain to empty your bowels? For some reason... For even my Valsalva strainers, you know, the ones that have serious blood in the face and they're going blue and red and all the colors you can think of in order to get that bowel movement out, even they answer no to this question. No, I don't strain. So this is how I ask it. And it opens up a curiosity and it opens up a conversation, which is exactly what we want. Here's how I ask it. Do you ever use effort to get your bowel movement out? Then I may quantify how much effort once they say yes. So effort, I think this word effort resonates with them because it's a much more gentle word than straining. And again, it opens up the conversation around their mechanics. And this is what we want. We're trying to encourage a rapport, a dialogue. And once this happens, we can get somewhere. The other thing I find is that when we ask these questions, since it's the first time many people are ever even hearing vocabulary associated with daily habits, they come back to us that second session and say, you know, last week I told you I didn't strain, but I paid more attention to it this week and this, this is actually what I do, let me tell you. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. This is what we want. We want their interoceptive quality. We want this body awareness to start building. And this happens with these beautifully crafted questions that we're talking about right now. Number five, do you have blood in the stool or on your toilet paper? I find most people are trained to think blood in the stool is super ominous And many people, as a result, just don't even look in the toilet, but they do see blood on their toilet paper. So I usually add this aspect to the question. Number six, I ask Do you ever have a really big urge, but nothing comes out? Number seven, do you use stool softeners or laxatives between meals? If so, how often? And number eight, of course, I bring out the Bristol stool scale and I ask them, which one do they have? I ask for at least two of their most common types because we all have stool variety, right? And I want to see that range. And then number nine, I always connect it back to their particular reason for coming to see me. So I ask them, Do you understand why I'm asking you so many questions about your bowel movements? You're here because you have prolapse. You're here because you have urinary frequency. And here I am asking you a bunch of questions about bowel habits, right? I want them to know, I, I'm, calling out, I'm calling out the elephant in the room and I'm putting them at ease when I do this because you know they're wondering it. They're sitting here going, did I go to the wrong person? She's, does she think I'm someone else? And so by reviewing basic education about pelvic floor anatomy and the roles of the pelvic floor and the role of the breath, while weaving in their particular reason for coming to see us, we're always connecting it back to their specific issue. This is key for buy-in. We don't want to educate in general. We want to teach them specifically about their specific issue. And this helps so much with not overwhelming them. So make sure you know your client's main goals for seeing you and keep coming back to these goals and relating it to what you're talking about. It's our role to share with them how the bladder and bowel symptoms are related through their muscles, right? I'm always talking about the basic anatomy of where the pelvic floor is and relating it back to their current symptoms. If they're constipated and they have urinary frequency, we can mention that we want to be evaluating these muscles together. I always have my pelvic model out to show them, right? And by the way, my favorite is a laminated pelvic, beautifully artistically rendered version um, that is laminated and can fold up and then also assembled into like a more three-dimensional way. It's portable and it's just beautiful and they love to hold it and look at it and turn it over. I will link to where I get that in the show notes and I even have a 10% discount directly from the artist herself for you to use. Now, the muscles are closely related and the functions are closely related. So this is why we have that pelvic model out to show them. We are giving the client the clinical rationale as to why we are going to be investigating these symptoms. We're setting the stage, why we're going to be doing an internal assessment, and how that can help. By the way, if this stuff is interesting and fascinating to you, I have two courses I would love for you to check out. One is called OT Pioneers, an Introduction to Pelvic Floor Therapy for Occupational Therapists. And the follow-up course is called OT Elevate, the Biopsychosocial Approach to Colorectal Conditions. Now, we're talking all about colorectal conditions today, and I do recommend the intro course first. But... Both of these courses are really from that OT lens, which is quite unique and quite special. Head over to my website, functionalpelvis.com, click on the Professionals tab, and you can check out my courses, but I'll also link them in the show notes. Now, we can teach the function of the pelvic floor and relate function to their symptoms to help them, let's say, make these connections between how the muscles coordinate and how they contribute to their symptoms. And just like we present to them that the pelvic floor system is all related, we're sharing with them that there is way more to the story than just their pelvic floor. It's a combination of nervous system function and whole body interconnectedness. Our clients and our medical system is hyper-focused on the symptom itself or just the one body area. And we can help liberate their viewpoint and educate them that it's all connected and our systems operate together. Our client likely doesn't know this, and it's our job to teach them enough so that they will understand why they need our therapy. We need them to be committed to the time and the money that this process is going to take. It's our job to explain and connect the dots in a way that the client will understand and buy in. I always end the intake with answering any questions they have, wrapping up our findings, and reviewing their home exercise program. They leave knowing what to expect next from me, so for me, it's an email with a link to my video exercises and any other relevant information that may enhance their session, such as additional handouts or readings, or even if I think they could benefit from an additional referral. I make sure that when I leave the first session, they have a very clear understanding of the next steps, how often I wanna see them and what I expect from them between sessions. Thanks for listening to another episode of OTs and Pelvic Health. If you haven't already, hop onto Facebook and join my group, OTs for Pelvic Health, where we have thousands of OTs at all stages of their pelvic health career journey. This is such an incredibly supportive community where I go live each and every week. If you love this episode, please take a screenshot of this episode on your phone and post it to IG, Facebook, wherever you post your stuff, and be sure to tag me and let me know why you like this episode. This will help me to create in the future what you want to hear more of. Thanks again for listening to the OTs and Pelvic Health Podcast.